Identity first, then action, then your feelings in the context of your action. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 68, and today my guest is Greg Kondaraci, and this is the final installment in a three-part series on energy management. Greg is the author of Getting Up, Supercharging Your Energy, and an energy management expert because of two main reasons. First, he's an author on the subject, and second, in 2015, he rode his bicycle across the United States in only 18 days, averaging 150 miles a day. He doesn't walk his talk. He rides his talk. If you haven't listened to our prior interviews, it would be well worth it to download episode number 35 and episode number 46. As a quick recap, in episode 35, Greg discusses that in the 21st century, it's less about the time management and more about energy management. Our discussion focuses around one's physical and intellectual energy. In episode 46, Greg discusses emotional energy and those emotional energy vampires. You know these people who suck all the positive energy out and inject their negative energy? Actually, we are our own emotional energy vampires because we're exposed to lots of negative energy which does begin to seep into our heads. Greg gives us some great tips on how to manage those vampires. Today we focus on spiritual energy, which is a mission-driven because it's all about your identity and values, as Greg writes in his book. He goes on to say, spiritual energy, an elusive reservoir of them all, spiritual energy fuels passion, commitment, and endurance. Although for many it's a religious in nature, it doesn't have to be. Spiritual energy is embedded in each person's mission, his or her's life purpose. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode because Greg has some great stories to tell, and many of them have that aha moment to them. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to talk about the first five episodes of this podcast, which are qualified for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, former CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, author of Gratitude Marketing. Tom Hood, CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs. Ed Mindlewitz, who's a partner in the firm of Witham, Smith & Brown. And Carl Ulrichs, who's an HR professional at Gregory & Appel. These episodes are located on the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute self-study website, and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can listen to them on your daily commute or while you're working out or even at your desk. When you are finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or on your computer. It's just that easy. While all selective Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. 
You can get detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn, Improv is No Joke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Okay, now let's get to the interview with Greg Kondaraci. Greg, welcome back to the show. I greatly appreciate you taking time, and you are my first three-timer. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> this, this is this is part three of our conversation, because just as a recap, when we were discussing your book, Getting Up, Supercharging Your Energy, at the end of our, our first call, I went, there's so much more there. And you said, yeah, we only touched on the tip of it. I said, would you do a three-part series for me? And you immediately said, yes. And we've talked about emotional. We've talked about uh, intellectual energy. We've talked about physical. I'm, I've got those three correct, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and today we're going to move that conversation into spiritual. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation, my audience, because in his book, and he had told me about this prior, that, that this piece of the book was really kind of the meat of everything. And, and I have completed the book, and I agree. It is the meat of his book, and he ties everything in so brilliantly that it, it all makes complete sense. So I'm looking forward to where you're going to take us today on the cycling venture that we're going to have as a spiritual energy. Okay. Well, um, let's well let's let's begin with uh, we, just before we began, we had a little conversation with me about getting into bicycling again. I'm really excited that you're doing that. Thank you. Uh, and so I'll give you a uh, a spiritual tip that uh, I don't mention directly in the book, but which I really like, and I think it underlines the principle that we're trying to talk about today. It's Eric Greitens, who is now, I guess, governor of Missouri, I think, uh, wrote a book called Resilience. And he said, you know, the trouble with a lot of Americans is that we begin by thinking about how we feel, and then we take action based on our feelings. That's how we create our identity. And he says, well, you know, that's backwards. And he said, what you ought to do is begin with your identity, which is really what I took when I say spiritual energy, I'm talking about who you are, what your purpose in life is. That's what it's really all about. Okay. Begin with your identity, he says, then think about action, then think about your feelings. So let me give you a bicycle example. Okay. You know, so I'm out on a long ride and, and of course I feel tired. So if I begin with how I feel, uh, then the obvious action is, well, I'm pretty tired. I better stop. Okay. Then my identity after I do that is, oh, I'm a quitter. The other way around though, is if you think, well, you know what I really am, I'm an ultra long distance bicycle rider. That's what I do. So, you know, hundred miles, 200 miles, this is what I do. Okay. That's who I am. Well, then if I start feeling tired, well, you know, that's no big deal because that's part of the game. So the idea is identity first, then action, then your feelings in the context of your action. And if you look at people with a powerful, uh, you made a powerful impact in the world, they all did it on the basis of spiritual energy. Gandhi, King, 
Mother Teresa. Um, you know, all these people, they didn't get elected to anything. They didn't head armies. Uh, but the sheer power of who they were came through, drove their lives, and, you know, changed the world. So uh, that is the spiritual energy is really the ultimate source of energy deep inside. Okay, so I'm going to bring what you just said into present, like actually today. So I, I picked up my son from school and I, I told him, I said, I've got, I've got this podcast interview with, with yourself today at 2.30. I said, man, I'm tired. And he goes, yeah, dad, you, you've traveled. I was in Phoenix and I flew back to BWI, drove to Hershey, PA, all day session, yada, yada, yada. I am tired. But as you are, as you are discussing this, I'm going, all right, if I twist it into the identity uh, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm on this teaching circuit, lecture circuit per se. This yes. is what I do. Yes, I, I I should feel tired. Yeah, it's part of the game. And as you are talking, and as we're doing this, I've got energy back. And I actually told my son, I said, I, I want to do this interview with Greg because I know he will give me energy. But I had no idea how you were going to do that. Oh, it's, it's oh, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I could just actually, as you were describing this, I could actually feel my mindset change and, and fall into that. Well, it's part of the game. You are supposed to feel this way. And, and the other thing I heard is that you're an ultra distance rider. The only thing ultra that I've ever done is beer. That's about it. <laughs> Ultra beer is that the only, only thing. So, you know, practice makes perfect. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Uh, well, you know, I think, you know, part of it is it, it is a very real thing. The, what a lot of people miss, though, is it's not just this purpose thing, it's not just personal, it's corporate too. Organizations, I've worked with a lot of organizations in terms of working on their marketing. And it's like, well, who are you? And, you know, if you have a good, strong, solid purpose in, 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 for your organization, you're going to attract the kind of people you're looking to attract. You're going to attract the clients you're looking to, to attract. Uh, and if you don't know who you are or if the only purpose in your organization is make money, people see through that right away. And the opposite is very powerful. Uh, when I teach my students, uh, you know, as you know, I teach at Johns Hopkins in right. the School of Public Health. They all go through the process outlined in the book about who am I, you know, sort of thinking about what their real purpose in life is, what their real identity is. And again, as you know, in the book, it's kind of a quick and dirty process. It's not one that takes forever. It's not, you know, heavy theology or philosophy. It's just trying to get in touch with who you really are. Because if you can communicate that, people will trust you. Uh, you'll be much more successful. You have a purpose. In life. As you know, I, I teach this energy stuff all over the country. And one of the saddest things is when people come up to me afterward and they say, you know, I don't have any purpose in my life. I'm just putting one foot in the front of the other, working every day, hoping for retirement. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really sad. Yeah. Uh, because of course they have much less energy uh, and they live a much tougher life. Right. You know, there's an old saying, that, you know, uh, tough choices, easy life, easy choices, tough life. And, and that's really... Uh, what this is all about, you know, figuring out who you are and getting in touch with that and behaving in line with that. That's where the real juice comes from. 
as you're saying this, I'm thinking of Simon Sinek and it starts with why and people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it along, along those lines. And, and then I think about our identity and I want to bring, you mentioned a gentleman that we both know. You know him a lot better than I do uh, of what uh, Frank Ryan did. It's been, it's been three years now? Yeah, two or three years. Yeah. Two, three. Yeah. Do, do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, I mean, I tell that story all the time uh, because Frank, in addition to being our mutual friend, which is, of course, why he's famous. <laughs> of course. Also famous, yeah. He's yeah. also famous uh, for walking across the country. Uh, and, you know, people look, look at me and they say, hey, Greg, way to go. Rode a bicycle across the country. That must have been incredible. Yeah, but <laughs> Frank walked. It was 150 plus days. And what people don't understand, and, you know, you and I do, because of course, I mean, I've read his book and I know him well. And so we've had many conversations about this. In fact, he and I teach a course on energy and endurance based on his walk and my bike ride. But what's, what's critical, I mean, people don't realize he peeled the bottom off his feet. Okay. Imagine what that must've felt like. He had bone spurs. He limped for probably two thirds of that trip. He limped across the country, but the reason that he did it is uh, is because a he's Frank, <laughs> he's a marine. Uh, Marines don't quit, uh, you know. Simplify right. all yeah. that stuff. Plus, he was absolutely dedicated to raising money for this little nonprofit that uh, he has been chairman of the board of for years and years and years. And when people say, "Well, what gives you the get up and go to go all the way across the country?" It's purpose. He had every step he took, there was a reason behind it. Same thing when I was riding across the country, I was raising money for our daily bread, which is probably Maryland's most famous soup kitchen. Uh, I helped start it 35 years ago, you know, and I knew as I was riding across the country, I was raising money based on the mileage. So I knew every mile was another, you know, dollar, nickel, whatever uh, for those guys. And, And it's the type of thing where, Boy, that gets you up in the morning. That keeps you going, even in you know the heat and the hills and the headwinds and rainstorms. It's like, oh well, yeah, um, it's tough, but boy, you know, uh, I get to go sleep in a hotel tonight after I ride, and a lot of those guys don't. They are sleeping outside, so you know, uh, so you're grateful, you're thankful, uh, and you're energized. It's all about purpose. So, going back to the person who said, "I'm just trying to make it through the day." Where I mean, I, I do believe we all have a purpose. There, there's some reason why we are here. We're, we're here to have some impact. So, and that, that can be a journey. I, I guess, lack of a better word, how do you counsel people who say they don't feel like they have a purpose? But do you begin to ask them questions? Do you begin to ask them, kind of explore where maybe that lack of energy is and, and try to make suggestions? How does that work or, or does it? Yeah, I mean, it, it does work. And the example that I use is, you know, if you have a Labrador Retriever, you know. Uh, I got two. You know, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> one of the most popular dogs in America. Or, you know, uh, so it, it's like, all right, um, the purpose of a lab is fetch. <laughs> okay. Right. And, and how long can you throw that ball or throw that stick before he's tired of fetching? The answer is never. Okay? <laughs> Go on, you know, until your arm falls off. Okay. Right. And uh, because what's going on there is that dog has a purpose. It's in its DNA, just like your purpose and my purpose is in our DNA. Now we're much more complicated than dogs, but there's stuff that if we're up doing what we should be doing, 
if we're aligned with our purpose and we know what it is and we live it every day, we get enormous amounts of juice. We can do that all day long, okay? Because as I like to say, Mother Nature is not stupid. Yes. She gave us these talents for a reason, and that reason is our purpose. And when we use our talents in line with our purpose, we feel great and we yeah. get a ton of energy. And it and it's it's universal. It's it's you. It's me. It's Labrador retrievers. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's really pretty much universal. And that's why you know you look at people and and who are happy in their jobs. And you and the answer to that is the reason they're happy is not because they're making a lot of money or they get a lot of recognition. It's because that's who they are. They're doing what they should be doing, and that's enormously powerful. Uh, I mean, part of it is is. It, you know, your purpose isn't necessarily a job. You can spread your purpose over a number of different jobs. Uh, I mean, you're a great example. I mean, you're a CPA. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're not doing tax returns. <laughs> except no. Uh, and, no. <laughs> and, and so you're a CPA. That's, you know, that's, uh, those are the initials after your name. That's your credential. It's a powerful one. But, but, you know, your calling is, is just way different than that uh, or includes that and many other things. And so you're using your talents in a way that uh, clearly aligns uh, with who you are because that's where you get the energy to do all this crazy stuff that you do. <laughs> uh, I, I, I thank you very much, but and I do agree. There, there is a quote that you have in your book. It's Confucius: "Choose the job you love, and you'll never have to work a day in your life." Uh, when I went, when I went full time with this job, I tell people I have not worked a day in seven years. When I started this in 2010, ask my wife; you get a completely different answer. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And she will also say, "I've never seen him happier." Uh, that really is, you know, I mean, and that happiness is what, it, it, that's a big a source of, of energy. Uh, you know, I mean, people do better and have more juice for what they're happy at doing. I mean, the, the, the easiest translation for that is, okay, so it's Friday afternoon and you're exhausted, right? Oh, yeah, I'm exhausted, right? Well, here comes happy hour. <laughs> right? And, you know, all those people who were dragged themselves out of work at 4.35 o'clock on a Friday are totally different human beings at happy hour an hour later. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously that's a different kind of happy. But <laughs> part of it is, is you notice if you're doing something you really enjoy, if you look at, you know, like people have after work softball and you talk to anybody who's one of those, and they'll all say, wow, I wish people worked as hard <laughs> at work all day long as on the softball field. Well, it's because they're doing something they love to do. And you know, so figuring out, as you know, in the book, there's a process, but it's not a complicated process. So just figuring out who you are, what gives you juice, where your energy comes from is really powerful. Often, uh, it's what people do for fun. You know, the example I think I have in the book is, you know, I, I did this process that, uh, you know, where people try to articulate their personal mission. And one guy came up to me and he said, I'm a surfer. That's what I do. I'm a surfer. And when he graduated from college, he surfed the big waves all over the world. And he said, you know, and then he said, I, you know, I got to do something that pays the bills here. And, and, so, and so he decided, you know, wow, trading on Wall Street. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's, he says, it's just like surfing. 
You got to know which way to pick. You got to know which stock to pick. You got to know when to get on. You got to know when to get off. You can get hurt. <laughs> and that's part of the fun. And at the end of the day, you go home and have a <laughs> and he said, what I do all day is I just surf. Of course, it's, he serves very profitably. Yeah. Uh, he's very successful. But part of it is the same uh, adrenaline, the same uh, reflexes, uh, the same sense of what's right and what's wrong that made him a great surfer makes him a great trader. You know? uh, so it's the type of thing that so he's using that, that set of talents in a way that's very profitable. He serves. <laughs> well, when you said he was a surfer, then you went to Wall Street. I couldn't make the connection, but now I have. Yeah. So l- let me ask you this question. We, we see that there's a lot of uh, unhappy workers out there, especially in corporate America. And, and, and reading the book and listening to this, so there, there's, there's a, there's, they're not aligned. The, the, the mission vision of the organization is not aligned to those who are employed, it sounds like to me. Uh, there's there's a disconnect, and in a lot of companies, because what I'm I'm seeing more of it in the older, more established companies that have been around for a while. They've gotten so big, but then we've got some new, uh, large businesses that have formed over the, over the past 10, 15 years, and there seems to be more alignment with the the organization itself, the culture, as well as transcending that into the people to keep them energized and happy and will walk through fire for the organization. So how how does, how does a company do that? How does, how does somebody like GM change their their culture to be more like quote unquote a Google completely different into this economy or even in some small essence to maintain that workforce, at least have a happy workforce? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think uh, the smart companies are are doing a great job of aligning their values and their purpose with the values and the purpose of their employees. I'll give you an immediate example. Uh, uh, My kid uh, just changed jobs from an old traditional company. I mean, it was like 1956. I mean, you know, their values. It's the type of thing that your dad and my dad grew up with. That's how antiquated it was. And she just changed jobs to work for a a bright young company. And I'm not talking about one run by millennials. I'm talking about a company that's been around for you know a couple of decades, but uh, but has that fresher view. And she, she she called me up and she said, "Dad, I just got out of orientation with uh, the manager." Uh, and I said, "Well, how'd it go?" And she said, well, he stood up and said, you know, and there was a small group of, of, you know, new employees. He stood up and said, you're here because we love you and we want you to be happy. <laughs> and it was like, what? <laughs> wow. And, and, and of course, you know, if you, if you put on your energy hat and you think about that, that wasn't stupid. <laughs> you know that was not touchy feely. I mean, because he said, you know, we want to know what you want to do, and we'll, we have lots of work here, and we'll find the best fit for you. And you know, I mean, and that's that's like right. It was like, did he read the book? I mean, obviously, uh, those principles are very, very powerful in terms of I want I want these people energized. Um, so it's like you know, people they're there to understand the purpose. 
they're there uh, to make sure that that purpose aligns because what you're talking about is really alignment. Is my purpose as an individual aligned with my company's purpose? That's where you get maximum performance. And that's really what a leader does as opposed to a manager. You know, managers solve problems and make sure trains run on time. Leaders, as you know, are all about a vision, a mission, values, aligning people with those values. And that's where the real the real performance comes. It's interesting because uh, early on in my podcast, I interviewed, uh, and I've made this comment multiple times, uh, one of my author friends, uh, her name is Karen Young, she wrote a book, Drama Free HR, Quit Knocking on My Door. And during the interview, she said that in her, her company, the, the attrition rate was higher than she wanted it to be. And, and they, they sat back as a, as a group and said, well, maybe we need to go in and rework our mission, vision, and core values. And they spent a considerable amount of time of getting those right. Then they said, we're going to change the hiring process. Instead of putting an ad out or whatever and then giving somebody an application, have them fill it out, go through the interview process, hire them, give them that, you know, that, that onboarding stuff. They flipped it around. They would put an ad out for a job. Then the first thing that they had to do before they even got an application was to go to the website, read the mission, vision, core values, and then have a phone interview to articulate how they saw themselves fitting into the core values, mission, vision of the organization. If the person could articulate that in a way, then they would get the application. Then they would go through the screening process. And by flipping, the hiring practice, their attrition rate almost disappeared. Yeah. And they had motivated, they had energized employees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you ask anybody in any company, you know, you say, well, what, what's the most important thing for an employee here? Because, you know, to use your example, you know, there are lots of CPAs. You right. Know, if I hire 50 CPAs, what I want to hire is the one that fits with my organization. Well, the best way to do it is the way you just outlined because that says that the purpose of the person you're hiring and the purpose of the organization are aligned. It, it's not rocket science. I mean, part of the thing is what happens is a lot of organizations and a lot of people too make the mistake of picking, you know, sort of the favorite values as opposed to the values that really drive them. Uh, so, for example, you know, I ask CPAs all the time, what are your values? And they say honesty, integrity hard work, you know, and, you know, and recently somebody said punctuality. That was the first <laughs> I was always glad to hear because I don't know if I'll die for the course. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, it's like, okay, so what is it about integrity to get you out of bed? This and so, you know, from reading the book, that my, my values are S L E E P sleep. Uh, right. Because that's something that I like. But what gets me out of bed is, you know, it, it's easy to remember because it's S for spirit. I like spirit, school spirit, spirit, mm-hmm. holy spirit. I like people with spirit juice. Um, you know, L stands for light. I like to see the light bulb go on. That's what gets me going. I know that's what energizes you too. And then I couldn't do what I'm doing and not like energy and endurance. So that takes mm-hmm. care of those. And then finally, you know, it's all really about productivity. I mean, what good is all this energy if you're not doing something productive? So, you know, so when I tell people my, you know, my values are sleep, uh, S-L-E-E-P, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, hey, that's, you know, that's different. Well, yeah. And if you look at Google's values, if you look at uh, like Zappos, you know, the shoe company, look at their values, right. you read those values, and then you look at the company and you say, yeah, I see how those values apply to this company. Now, do they live them at 100%? Well, nobody's 100%. Uh, 
But boy, you know, if you really know what your values really are, then that's very powerful. Well, as you write in the book, you use an example of a company that no longer exists, mm-hmm. a small little company out of Houston called Enron. Right. A- a- <laughs> right. And you make it, you do say that yeah, Enron had a mission, vision, core competencies. It had a code of conduct. But then you said, do you remember the quote that Ken Lay said around that? Yeah, values, uh, you know, rules and regulations are important, but, you know, you shouldn't take them too seriously. I mean, so what, what happened at Enron is they lived their values. They really did live their values, except those weren't the values that they put on the wall. Okay? Right. Uh, and, you know, so I think everybody lives his or her values if by values you mean what's important to you. And in their case, what's important is making as much money as we can by hook or by crook. Right. Crook. Most and, crook, yeah. and so, yeah, sure, they lived according to their values. That wasn't what's on the website, okay? But that's the way they operated. And, and you know, and I think you know, when we talk about recruiting and retaining, a company that can truly articulate its real values, I mean, the values so that when you show up there, you see them either as a, a customer or as an employee and you see them every day, that's power. And so many companies, you know, they have these sort of set of, it's really not a set of values, it's a set of platitudes. But I always tell companies when I go in, as I say, okay, so you got all these values. Uh, do you compensate people based on those values? Okay. I mean, uh, and it's like, what do you mean? Uh, show me the HR system that links to your values that compensates people for behaving that way. Because right now you're compensating people for behaving some way. Mm-hmm. What way is that way? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that usually gets a thoughtful look or two. Uh, sometimes painful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I bet that is. In fact, in, in going, going down this path, uh, and, and you know, we're talking about Enron, and, and basically th- there was a misalignment of there. But when, you, when you're doing this, I, I think one of the biggest pieces, and you do address this in your book, one of the biggest pieces out there is, is the word trust. It, 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 the, the, the people have to have trust in the senior management, in the C-suite, and the C-suite has to have trust in people. And, and uh, I recently heard a, a guy by the name of uh, David Horsager who wrote the book, uh, the, um, the Trust Edge. Uh, he keynoted at the National Speakers Association. He states, everything of value is built on trust. And the lack of trust is the biggest expense organizations incur. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've used that phrase a number of times recently, and I just watch the looks on everybody's face in the audience, and it takes them a moment. And then you get that aha or oh crap look and going, yeah, it's right. And, and how do we main it, that trust, that, that belief, that spirituality, uh, however you want to phrase it, within organizations that people buy in? And it's 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 not easy. Yeah. No, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. What, what I always uh, tell you know the CEOs that I'm working with is that really, really their most important title is chief reputation officer. Okay. Mm. Um, I mean that's that's really what it's all about because you got bad reputation, you got no business there. You have Enron, you have Arthur Anderson as great examples. Mm. Uh, lose trust, lose business. That's all it is. And and employees and customers, all that together. 
Uh, you know, from the book, I mean, the, we'll use the trust form, which is trust is a function of credibility times intimacy divided by the perceived risk. So essentially, you know, I've I... Heard that, I've heard that before. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. It was Pam Devine. It was Pam. When you started that equation, I remember when I was talking to her about trust, she rattled that off. She got, you know where she got that from? Now um, I, I think she said it was from you, but yes. Yeah, could, you, could you say it again? Yeah. Actually, it's from a company called Synectics, which came up with this formula about 25 years ago. A little company still around in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And they said, you know, trust is a function of your credibility, how believable you are, mm -hmm. uh, times your intimacy, how much you care, uh, divided by my perception of the risk I'm taking in trusting Okay. So credibility times intimacy divided by risk, uh, obviously, because there's a multiplier in the numerator, if either of those is zero, I mean, if you have no credibility and if you have no intimacy, by intimacy, it's really kind of relationship. Teddy Roosevelt said it best, I don't care what you know until I know that you care. And if you look at how people select professionals, whether they're CPAs or physicians or whatever, it's basically... Do I like them or not? Right. <laughs> you know? And right. uh, the biggest mistake that a professional can make, whether the person is a CPA or, say, a physician or a lawyer or whatever, is to forget that it that care part. You know, everybody focuses on the credential, the CPA, uh, the MD, uh, the law degree, uh, but and, and that's fine. But there are a lot of people who have those. Mm -hmm. um, the person that I'm going to pick, I have my choice. Uh, I pick the one I like. You know, the example that I use for uh, my students at Hopkins and all the time is, look, how did you select your pediatrician for your kid? And invariably, the answer is I selected my pediatrician based on a mother's recommendation who's already there. And what did she say? He's great with the kids, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the children. I really like him or really like her. And it's like, why? Well, because, hey, we don't know anything about pediatrics. You know, the person's board certified. The person has a CPA. What more do I need to know? They know what they're doing. Okay. Now, can I work with them? Do I like them? And then that becomes the differentiator. That becomes a differentiator. I, I think you would agree with this. And I don't remember if we've talked about this before. But when I, when I speak to audiences of CPAs, I ask them what business they're in. Right. And I get consulting. I get all this other stuff. And I go, uh, no, that's a byproduct. And, and I get that. Scooby-Doo lock for them. Yeah. And then go, you thought about that you're in the people business first and foremost. Everything else is a byproduct because you have to have people that work with you. You have to have customers who are individuals who are human beings. And we have to have some type of connection to this point. And we only do business with people we trust, respect. When we get referrals and stuff, like you said, you could be a CPA, but if you can't communicate and you can't make a connection with your client, and whether you, this is a client in a public firm or you're a CFO, or it's not going to work. So I, I think, the, and we've kind of outlined this, I, I think in, in business today, when we look at individuals and look at this process, we also need to remember we're, we all are people. And we all have needs and we all like to be cared for. And we all have feelings and stuff. And this is not the touchy-feely part of, but recognizing that versus looking at somebody as like if they're just an asset on a balance sheet that has no 
tangibility per se. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the story I like to tell is I, I took a group of 250 CPAs at a big local firm here in Baltimore through the mission exercise. And uh, when I got all over, well, to the end, I said, okay, anybody like to share their mission? And a young woman uh, raised her hand and she said, I'm a jump partner. A what? I, well, what, what? What do you mean? She says, well, if you've never jumped out of an airplane before, what they do is they lash you to somebody who has. That's your jump partner. So you don't have to worry when you jump out of the airplane. You're going to be okay. Uh, that person will pull the chute. That person will guide you down. You're going to be all right. I want to be, I, she said, I am. I'm a jump partner. That's who I am. And I thought, now there's somebody who really understands uh, what you just said. Okay, it's there's somebody who because who doesn't want a CPA that's a jump on that, right. that, that's what I'm paying you. I'm not paying you to do my taxes. I can do that on TurboTax. Right. I'm paying you to stand by my side if the IRS knocks on my door. Uh, I'm paying you to make sure that I have, I'm not missing something that I, you know, that I didn't know I didn't know. Uh, and so, you know, that's the real power. So she articulated that just beautifully. I use her as an example all the time of what, you know, a real mission sounds like. It, it has, you know, both it has the content and it has the emotional and spiritual power. And, and so, uh, you know, and, and more companies had mission statements that did that, you had more successful companies. <laughs> I love that because uh, when you said jump partner, I, I had my mind was racing in like eighteen directions. Yeah. And but when you put it like that, I, I, I and I will use that uh, in future uh, speaking engagements because I, I I love the visual nature of that picture. And then I'll really I'll see all anybody who's in the profession, whether you're in public, whether you're in industry, whether you're in government, whether you're in teaching, we really all should be jump partners. As it relates to the complexity of what we deal with, yeah, it's a it's a great image. But I've had you know I've worked with literally I you, you know and I know, you know thousands of CPAs right. and so I've heard thousands of CPA uh, mission statements where people said a whole bunch of different incredible things. You know, I have CPAs that said you know well I'm a gardener. What do you mean? You're a gardener. I mean, well, you know, I like to work in my garden, of course. But what I really am interested in is I'm interested in helping your organizations grow. Mm. That's what I'm about. I'm about growth. Okay, fine. That's super good. Uh, I've had one CPA says, you know, uh, I'm really a bartender. It's not like I serve drinks, but what I do is I listen mm. and I make people feel good. That's what I do. That you know, and so you get you get these kind of responses, and it's like, yeah. So what these people have done is they've taken their profession. And they've aligned it with their mission and their values. Mm -hmm. And that's where the energy comes from. Those are the people who are most successful in the profession because they understand not only what everybody else understands, and that's how you get your CPA, you make it through the exam, but you also have the experience and the emotional, intellectual, and spiritual horsepower uh, to identify and connect with your clients. That, and of course, your colleagues, that's what makes you a successful anything, CPA, physician, lawyer, whatever. Exactly. And when you say clients, I know you're talking about internal and external. Right. And, and we're talking about whether you're a CFO, managing partner, partner, staff accountant, or, or whatever. And along those lines is a, a recent quote that I've heard from Simon Sinek about leadership, which I believe ties into this because you know, we think of leadership, there's a difference between authority and leadership. Correct. And, and the way he put it, was 
doesn't matter your, your, your title, doesn't matter your level on the way that we have a positive effect on another person, period. Which which ties into the whole spirituality, as you're outlining and being aligned with the organization and stuff. And and I, I love that 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 quote because I don't think I've I've really never looked at leadership other than not not so much from an authority level, but from a from a different perspective. But that kind of helped align my thought process. That you know, if you want to empower and get a lot of energy mm-hmm. in your workforce, oh, I I know it's going with this. Um, Herb Keller, Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he was known as a Jack Daniels chuggins, you know, chain smoking kind of guy. But he would talk to the CFO the same way he would talk to a baggage handler, the same way he talked to a pilot or somebody in the corporate office. He he didn't have quote, I guess quote unquote airs or, or felt like he was above everybody because he was a founder. He was just like everybody else and treated everybody the same. Yeah, no, that that's that's really you know very very powerful because that as you know that that's what a leader is really all about you know that's what and so the cynic part I mean that's in Simon Cynic not <laughs> uh, but but the cynic part about what your why is that's again that's where the trust comes from that's where the credibility comes from that's where real leadership comes from I mean, people just want to follow people when they know who they are. Uh, and that's why, uh, you know, branding is so important these days. And, uh, you know, it's like the, the, some of the best CPA firms have the strongest brands because, you know, people know what they're getting. They know what to expect. So. I was actually thinking about how do we kind of wrap and tie everything together? And I think maybe the best way to do that is through touching on those four energy pieces kind of like in order and just kind of a, a, a recap so everybody who has maybe listened to all three episodes can and those who haven't can go back and listen to. But I think that'd be a nice way to kind of tie up this package in our, in our conversation. Great. Okay. Well, uh, as you remember from the beginning, it's all about PIES, P-I-E-S. That's the right. easiest way to remember it. Physical energy, intellectual energy, uh, you know, emotional energy, and spiritual energy. Right. As we said today, spiritual energy is the most powerful one, but often people don't really understand it until they work their way through the first three. Uh, physical energy, you know, just the ability to go a long way or, you know, run a long way or you know, drive from Harrisburg and catch that flight BWI and you know, just getting up and going uh, is one that a lot of people focus on. And that is the least important of them all. But that's the industry that five-hour energy drink and Red Bull and Starbucks are really good at. Okay, Well, there's nothing wrong with a little caffeine, but uh, for the longer, more durable types of energy, the other three are much better. Uh, intellectual energy is, is what people usually get paid for. Uh, do you have the energy to solve the puzzle, solve the problems, uh, meet my needs, that type of thing? Point about trust. I'll trust you if I believe you can meet my needs. And so intellectual energy is just frankly what we get paid to use. And there are many ways that we can, we can improve that uh, and many ways we can lose it. 
I remember some of the things we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, distraction or, you know, you know, too much time in front of the email or something like that. Um, and then, of course, emotional energy is the one that often causes the most problems. Uh, people are always talking about, well, you know, I have this energy vampire at work and every time he or she says that, <laughs> all the juice in the room and everything yeah. So these oxygen bandits are often a problem, uh, but emotional energy is a powerful thing and you can turn them around. We talked about a couple of ways to do it, but my favorite way is just if you have a bandit, it's just sort of kill them with kindness. Because usually what makes someone of an energy vampire is some kind of fear. And if you can remove that, then you've converted a vampire. And then finally, of course, the spiritual energy that we spend all day talking mm-hmm. about today, that relates to your purpose, who you really are. And if you do, if you're living that life, if you're doing that as much as you can, you're going to be happier and you're going to be more successful. So it's all about more energy, not about more time. We don't get any more time, 24 hours in a day. All right. But we can all get way more energy in each of those buckets. I, I, I will say this, that, I, that through our conversations, and we will have many more, uh, I have learned a lot. And we started out with the, with the physical energy. and. I, I've I found myself I'm, I'm I'm really trying to apply or manage that physical those ups and downs of 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 those energy levels because I have started a new book and I I am hell bent to have the at least the manuscript done by by Christmas so I'm trying to put out twenty two to twenty five hundred words a week to try to get around my thirty five that I thousand that that I need and. My best energy is first thing in the morning. Yes. So I, so I, that, that the intellectual energy to do those distractions, I eliminate those distractions and I work. But what I've also found is since I spend a lot of time on an airplane, if I can conserve energy at different points and use that energy while I'm on the plane, I can crank out a bunch of stuff. Even if it's on a, a 50 minute flight to Baltimore or a, a four hour flight to Phoenix, this week I cranked out a lot of stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I've learned more about my energy, my my physical, my my intellectual, my emotional, and, and dealing with the vampires and the spiritual energy from your book, from these conversations. And, and I hope my audience is taking it a lot because I have to thank you a lot, my friend. I knew you were, I, I, I've known you for a while. I knew you were brilliant, but I didn't know you were this great. I mean, it's the best kept secret out there. That, um, oh. Too good, too well kept a secret for us, this marketing guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the marketing guy. Uh, I, I've absolutely enjoyed our time. I'm looking forward to uh, our conversations offline, crossing paths. Hopefully, we're speaking at some conference sooner or later uh, at the same time. Um, I, I've enjoyed it immensely. I, I, I thank you for your, your, your friendship and your counsel. And they say that you want to put five or six people around you that I'm the weakest link. Well, you're part of that part of that five, and and thank you so very much. And um, I look forward to sitting down someday soon and just face to face without a without a computer between us and just catching up and, and spending some time with these conversations. I really have appreciated it. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Peter. It's been a delight, as it always is when we're working together. And good luck on that book. You can do it. I'll get it done. I've, and, and you've got a signed copy coming your way. Excellent. That's guaranteed. All right, my friend. Thank you so very much. 
I would like to thank Greg for giving us his time to record three outstanding episodes on how to supercharge your energy. I have thoroughly enjoyed all the conversations, and they have had a tremendous impact on me personally. I'd like to talk about the first five episodes of this podcast, which are qualified for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, former CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, author of Gratitude Marketing, Tom Hood, CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs, Ed Mindlowitz, who's a partner in the firm of Witham, Smith & Brown, and Carl Ulrichs, who's a HR professional at Gregory and Appel. These episodes are located on the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute self-study website, and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can listen to them on your daily commute or while you're working out or even at your desk. When you are finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or on your computer. It's just that easy. While all selective Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. You can get detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn, Improv is No Joke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life, for only $14.99 and the shipping's free, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic available now on my homepage. Just click and then go to the shopping cart. In addition, you can download Improv is No Joke audiobook for $14.99 so you can listen on the go. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. My Twitter handle is at pmargaritas, and you can find me on Instagram by searching pmargaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my entire name, Peter Margaritas. In episode 69, I interviewed Byron Patrick, who is the managing director of CPA practice at Network Alliance and the past chair of the Maryland Association of CPAs Executive Board. Our discussion centers around the benefits of volunteering at your state CPA association or really at any association. So thank you again for listening, and I'd greatly appreciate it if you take time to write a review on iTunes. Remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>